I'm Shangar. And you're listening to The Bar. In today's episode, we have Dr. Renan Tsu, who is the founder of Accelerating Climate Action. He has served in the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board and is currently the member of Sustainable and Resilient Infrastructure Stakeholder Council. All right, so Renan, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, hi, I'm Renard. I'm a Sustainability and Climate Change Specialist. I do a lot of environmental advocacy here in Malaysia. When did this passion in environment start for you? For me, I would say at a very young age. I grew up in a small town in Kuantan and used to spend a lot of time with my grandparents. My grandfather especially was a bit of an environmental activist himself. So I think that was probably my first foray into environmentalism. But also, I guess at a very young age, I've also seen the devastating effects of climate change. Having been a flood victim myself, I've seen how it can destroy livelihoods. And I sort of grew up with this big question you know, in my head as to why this is happening so frequently. Especially when you start reading the news in this day and age, you start realizing that, wow, catastrophic events like floods, droughts, wildfires, they're definitely happening more frequently than usual. You are professionally a head of sustainability in an organization. And on top of that, you are also a spokesperson, essentially one of the environmental leaders in Malaysia. Do you believe that there really is a climate crisis going on right now? A short answer to that is definitely yes. I mean, the science is very clear, but our reaction to it is not. The science says that, you know, we only have a dozen of years left to cap temperatures from increasing by 1.5 degrees Celsius. And 1.5 is basically the magic number that you hear echoing all around the world. Because if we do exit, you know, that temperature increase of 1.5, it's been estimated that we'll be seeing about 14 times more catastrophic events than normal. When you say events, what do you mean, like, specifically? What kind of events are you expecting? Already around the world, even as we're reading the news, in Germany, in New York, in China, people are already talking about, you know, all these flood events that are happening that have literally robbed lives. And especially now, in a COVID-19 lockdown situation, a lot of people are saying that COVID-19 is literally a dress rehearsal, right, for what is to come, which is, you know, the crisis that we're talking about. We're really seeing a lot of flood situations, especially in both northern and southern regions of Malaysia. What this does is that it actually affects the livelihoods, especially those involved in the agriculture sector. So in the past, what used to happen is that they will only suffer floods and crop use will decline. But right now, they're facing this back-to-back floods and droughts events that are happening. So we're already seeing actually just approximately about a 10% decline just on crop use alone in Malaysia. And it's only going to get worse from that. Because when crop use decline, what happens is that a lot of the food that we rely on right, will increase in cost. Because obviously, there's a shortage in terms of demand, right? And more often than not, it's always the marginalized communities, your B40 uh, communities that are going to be paying the price. Now, based on all your experience, do you think we are doing enough towards the climate? Yeah, so for me personally, I would say no. There's definitely a lot of room for improvement. If we recall, you know, like a couple of months ago, our minister came up in the news and said that, you know, the climate crisis is actually not exactly a crisis in Malaysia. Like Malaysia is not really seen as a vulnerable country to the effects of all of these events that that we are witnessing. And for me, I personally feel that it's unfair to say so because the reality of the situation is that there are a lot of people, like especially living in, in coastal areas, right, who are really at risk 
of being inundated with water. I mean, sea levels are rising. You know, we're, we're hearing about floods, right? Like as though it's a norm when it shouldn't be. So what are we doing about this? But of course, having said so, I think to tackle the climate crisis challenge, what you need is actually a whole of government, whole of society approach. So on one hand, you know, we do say that you know, the government needs to step up right, in terms of adaptation measures, like how are they reaching out to people in the marginalized communities. On the other hand, there's also something to be said about the role of corporations, people in the business sector. There's a lot of these declarations that are being made, you know, wanting to be carbon neutral, wanting to achieve net zero commitments. But honestly, if we look at what is being reported, do these organizations actually have a clear roadmap and plan to actually achieve that? Rita Thunberg, right, this very famous climate activist that we all know, she's been presenting at the UN conference. She's been talking with so many international organizations. And one of the rhetorics that she emphasizes quite a fair bit is all of this are blah, blah, blahs. You hear about corporations saying that, yeah, they want to be net zero. But honestly, like how are they actually planning to achieve that? And you know, on that point, all these declarations, to Greta's point, right, it sounds very much like rhetoric, essentially. Where is it stemming from that they're not as proactive? Is it misinformation? Is it a lack of awareness? Where is it stemming from? For me, I think it's a combination of a lack of awareness, partly because the conversations or dialogue that surrounds climate change, the climate crisis, it's often what people would say 30,000 feet above ground. There are so many different terminologies. To a lay person, it, it's confusing. They don't really know what to do with it. But also, on the other hand, for those that are aware and people that I've actually spoken to, they sort of blame it on a lack of resourcing. If we look at the property and construction sector, for example, we know that it contributes to 40% of global carbon emissions. And a lot of this comes from construction sites, the use of heavy equipments, the burning of diesel, and so on and so forth. A lot of what these corporations are asking is that, so what sort of technology right, can they actually bring into place to tackle that? Are we at a stage where we actually have all the innovative solutions at place? Even if we do, the cost that will be incurred is about 15 to 20% more. And who's going to bet the brunt of it? It's exactly. Also I mean, back. economically, but also society as well, right? We can bring in all these new innovations to better or better address the climate crisis. But is it to the benefit of society, to the people living in those regions? Which is why this concept of having a just transition is very important. It's something that a lot of ASEAN leaders, ministers have already brought up. So we have to bear in mind that the reality is that in ASEAN, 93% of our primary energy use is still fossil fuels, oil and gas. We rely very heavily on, on this as a primary source of energy. To move and shift towards renewables, a cleaner energy source, we actually have to adopt a very holistic or systemic approach. We have to think about what sort of uh, training is needed right, to upskill the current workforce that is in the oil and gas industry. Because obviously Rome was not built in one day, right? You cannot just say that, yeah, let's move towards renewables and you shut off, right? All of your cobalt plants, you stop drilling completely. What sort of jobs are you going to create for these people who have been spending their whole lives, right, working in the oil and gas sector? But of course, on the other flip side, you are seeing all of these catastrophes that are happening. So as I mentioned earlier, marginalized communities are suffering. There's not enough innovative or rapid pace solutions, right? to address these challenges that they're facing. So where do you draw the line? And it's a just transition for who specifically? And I think these are all hard questions, right, that remains unanswered even until today. You know, just now you were talking about awareness and it's the lack of awareness, especially around the marginalised communities. And funny, you just mentioned that Rome wasn't built in a day because Pope Francis, I think he's the only Pope who's addressing the climate crisis through his encyclical call which is for the care of the environment. He's basically telling everybody that, you know, God has given us this earth and it's our responsibility to take care of it, to be more environmentally conscious, essentially. 
And I think it starts even at that small level, right? That is our fundamental responsibility of every human being to look after the environment despite who you are, whether you are a leader of a world or whether you are part of the marginalized communities that's at the bottom, perhaps. Who is responsible for creating this awareness and giving this importance? For me, I don't think there is a clear-cut answer to this. I would sort of say that it's a whole of government, whole of society, as I've mentioned earlier. So governments need to create an environment, a conducive environment. They need to set policies that are in place that would allow for the renewable energy sector to thrive, first and foremost. Um, We also need education, right? So we spoke about awareness. But the sad reality is that uh, the way a lot of universities operate is that they go by demand. And quite sadly, in Malaysia, we have definitely seen cases whereby a public university which has actually shut down an environmental sciences course because there wasn't enough demand for that. And we also have what we call an Asian mentality, where a lot of parents tend to encourage their children to pursue careers in engineering or uh, medicine or accounting. And if you do anything else uh, beyond this, you're sort of seen as a failure, right? But where is that push for renewables? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of parents are worried that if their kids do end up being that, that they're just going to end up working with an NGO, being a tree hugger of (laughs) of that some sort. Which I beg to defer because I think this is changing, but very slowly in, in our region. On a global level, you're involved in policy making. What are some of the policies that are being put in place right now that you think would enhance the whole environmental landscape globally? Yeah, so there's actually a window of opportunity, to be honest with you, Um, especially with COVID-19 happening. A lot of uh, ministries are talking about having a great reset. So a lot of the incentivization that comes, right, to revive the economy, in my opinion, like needs to be geared towards the renewable energy sector. There needs to be clauses in there to push different industries to transform. This is happening at a global level, but we are not seeing that sort of appetite in this region, unfortunately. A lot of us just basically just want to get back to work. We want to restart, go back to normal as quickly as possible, that we don't actually think about what resetting actually means. And there's not a lot of incentivization that is geared towards that, which I think is problematic. Speaking about the reset, right? I feel like if anything, the past two years of pandemic that we've had, that was meant to be a reset and people are going back to normal again. If we don't learn anything at all over these past two years, what was the point of it? You know, like the earth healed, right? Like how are the stats on that? Like when humans stopped going out, they stayed in, there weren't cars and airplanes out. It's not technically a solution, isn't it? It's, a, I guess, a temporary band-aid that we didn't expect the earth to heal in that two years. You know, I was watching a video this morning about Thanos and how he's this environmental mm-hmm. terrorist you know, snapping half the population away. It said that it would take about 61 years after he had snapped half the population away for it to still go back to it being in a mess. Wow, yeah. so fast. So he didn't essentially achieve his goal if he only had knew the maths would have just added up that they will still come back to where it was. Which is a very great segue. I was going to ask you, how much of the problems that we have today is because of overpopulation. It was 10 years ago that we reached 7 billion. And within 10 years, we are now approaching 8 billion. I think the issue is not just with overpopulation. I think at the end of the day, it's greed at the core of this. And when you say greed, what's that referring to? Resources? I think it's the way that we operate. So when businesses, for example, they don't think about sustenance. They don't think about what's going to happen in the 20 or 30 years Mm -hmm. near future, whether there's enough resources 
for the future generation. So your children, your grandchildren, like, are they going to have enough to sustain? Right. All they care about is making fast profits at this point in time. So, you know, like what we're going to see as we come out of this lockdown, factories, industries operating at double, triple, just to make up the skill, just to make up for yeah. what they've lost. And so I much think, for that two years break, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so much so for that two years break. But what has been really scary as well is that even with the global lockdown that we had, we were only able to reduce emissions by up to 5%, which is not enough not to enough, yeah. achieve the aspirations of that 1.5 magic number that I've spoken about. We need to actually escalate that by up to 41%. That's like wow. eight times yeah. of the global lockdown. But it also speaks about the scale of the challenge. At an international level, people are saying we've got to keep that 1.5 degree, you know, hope. Otherwise, we, you know, we're all screwed. So essentially, we're at the 11-hour year. Would you say, are we simply just too late or we don't have enough time to catch up to that magic number? Well, I think there's always hope, right? And, and we need to hang on to that glimmer of hope. There are a lot of different things that can be done. I think starting individually is a good start. A lot of people that I've spoken to say that, oh, you know, the climate crisis is such a big mega phenomenon that there's nothing that they do individually that can make a difference. But I back to differ because cumulatively, like a 7 billion population, if everyone just decides to make that choice, right, of doing something for climate, it all adds up. So to say that it's too late, uh, it's not true. It's only too late if you feel that it's too late. But the reality is that there's so much that can be done. And we need to speed it up and, and escalate this. Okay. Thank you for your time, Renat. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Rat. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. So we've been talking about policies on the national and international level. But how can we make a difference as individuals when it comes to the environment? Joining us on this topic today, we have Claire Sensalot from all the way from France, who is the founder and CEO of The Hive Store, a zero-waste concept store. The Hive also organizes educational workshops to spread the principles of zero waste. Refuse, reduce, reuse, rot, and recycle. Today, we have with us all the way from France, Claire Sansolot from The Hive. Welcome to the bar, Claire. Welcome. Thank you so much. So glad to be at the bar. So excited. Bonjour to you. How, uh, how is everything? Comment allez-vous? <laughs> Bonjour, everything is great. We are end of October, but it's a sunny day, so I'm really delighted. Excellent. A good day to speak about your view on how things are for the environment and what's your view on how people are handling the climate crisis at this point. Okay, I'm a very positive person. However, right now, end of 2021, quite dark. Problem right now is all the governments know what they have to do. But for political, for economical reasons, they just don't implement. And then, of course, for their personal ego, they just don't implement it. So I think at this stage, we're going straight to the wall unless we have a citizen movement that sort of like tell government. But I'm very concerned. And mainly right now, we're having a big problem in Europe. We invested heavily in renewable energy but we don't have enough. We're starting to be in winter time. And right now, gas is really expensive. Petroleum is really expensive. So the government is giving citizens more money to buy more fossil fuel energy. This is the aberration of the moment. So we are telling everybody we need to move to renewable energy, but we don't have enough of that renewable energy to supply the demand. But so I'm a bit, on that note, I'm a bit bummed, to be honest. How many percent of 
the power generation is generated by renewable energy at this point and shouldn't you have planned for the usage before you cut off the conventional energy consumption? I'm not sure. So there is a big debate right now in France because we have a lot of our energy is from actually nuclear. I have my opinion and my opinion, I prefer nuclear than fossil fuel. But that's very controversial. I'm going to get a lot of hate things about that. But it's more short-term than long-term view. Still, that's a personal choice. I still prefer if I have not enough renewable energy, I would prefer to take nuclear than fossil fuel. Why do you feel like there's a negativity towards nuclear energy? Oh my God, the nuclear right now, mainly I think after Fukushima has been bashed so much. I mean, it's, it was tremendous. It was an earthquake at the same time and everything happened. But yes, since Fukushima, I think the nuclear is the best solution we have at the moment. Um, I mean, China is doing a lot, to be fair, as well. Doing a lot, trying to move to renewable energy but right now they're digging more coal because as well they're getting into the winter seasons they don't have enough energy renewable or fossil fuels so it's tricky right now the world is in the really i think at a crossroad citizens they want to make an effort but they don't want to lose their lifestyle they're like yes i want to do i want to go green but hold on i still want to take the plane i still want my house to be either cold or hot i still want that i'm the person who say citizen we always go for the green option if you offer them the green option at the same price we add the same convenience if you don't automatically most of us will go for what is convenient and cheap and do you think that's stemming from maybe the lack of awareness or misinformation on how it also could still be you know socially conscious to go down this path perhaps socially conscious is now getting more and more important but it's unfortunately with COVID crisis, I think it took a step back because now we got really destabilized financially. I see it in Malaysia. A lot of people actually from the day to the next had no income. So all the work that was done for years, that came second uh, because first, let's feed our family. Basic uh, needs, you know, yeah. yeah, basic needs took over and that the COVID crisis, I think, mainly for countries like Malaysia, will really push back the environment because right now we need to survive. Um, as an individual, like what are practices that we should be taking in order to collectively improve the state of the environment? Right. So as an individual, we can do a lot. That's where the hope is, uh, because we are the one who are fueling, you know, spanning our ringgit and feeding the economy. So although we can't control where our energy comes from, which is a shame because we have a country that has sunshine every single day. So we can obviously be on solar. So what we can do as individual is obviously what we put in our fridge, how we close ourselves, how you isolate your house and you make it more cool. Uh, because a big problem of Malaysia, I think, is energy conservation. Because obviously, we are getting days that are hotter and hotter. I mean, we're having, obviously, the planet is heating up. And as we are heating up, Malaysia is using more AC. So that's the aberration, of course. And obviously, the way we consume every day. Maybe if you're lucky and you live in Klang Valley or Johor or Penang, you have a lot of zero-waste store where you can get all your dried foods package free. You have obviously all over Malaysia, it's beautiful. You have wet markets. So at the wet markets, you can get all your produce package free. So here is to create no waste or very little waste. So you have those options. 
And of course, uh, this is why I created my company. I wanted to give to the, the region or the area to offer them some products that were made in Asia, but at the same time, Asian price. So we, we launched the first menstrual cup in Malaysia, you know, the high vet is Malaysia first menstrual cup. We sell it, our menstrual cup is always discounted. So it's between 65 and 70 ringgit. The amount of waste you get from feminine care cut down bamboo toothbrushes it's like not even 10 ringgit per bamboo toothbrush so you know you can find small cheap deals here and there so what we do is we offer all those reusable compostable options that remove the waste like we are launching right now the period underwear you're going to tell me what is a period underwear (laughs) and it's like an underwear that just collects your period and you just wash it so no more waste as well so we are launching all of those products that make it affordable. At the, at the same time, you cut down on waste. That's awesome. And as well, you cut down on what we call period poverty, which touches a lot of female in Malaysia. Period poverty, for people who do not know, is when young female often cannot even attend school because they can't afford to buy the feminine care when they have their period. So they just stay home. And we have a special program at the Hive that is the Freedom Flow. So we give 5% of the sales of all our cups and pads are donated. So we're fighting this and it's part of the zero waste campaign. So it's win-win everywhere. But how about all the other ways that are being produced through other means that we are not paying attention, especially those e-commerce platforms and all, like the products that are being produced and sold and sold in carton boxes and all the other packaging materials that are used that are exactly, not yeah. recyclable. And, and you know, uh, what about that? Consumerism as a whole and and and, the, and yeah. the delivery of it. I know, but that's consumer choice here. Yeah. People want those cheap items from the other side of the world. I mean, for them, it's up north. You can't fight what the other customers want. So it, business is business, right? So if Zalora knows or Lazada knows they can buy, they can sell to billions of customers, they will sell to billions of customers. Now it's you as customers who say, uh, no, I love your product. I hate the packaging. I hate the way you do it. And the only way to do that is not buying. I saw that problem too right away. I experienced it myself. I ordered one item. I got a massive thing that was locked into that. I didn't even know those packaging was existed. So what we did right away is we told all our customers, drop at the hive all your packaging. All the packaging you've been receiving, the bubble wrap, the small boxes, you drop them at the hive. We will work with other e-commerce and we will dispatch back to them. So that was done of the first quarter of pandemic time. And we, to this day, we are receiving boxes of bubble wrap. And now I'm talking to all those massive e-commerce because my warehouse is full of bubble wraps. It's like I'm a recycle center. I have a question. Would you say that saving yeah. the environment is expensive and that's a misconception? To be honest, I don't think so. It's not expensive. It's common sense because we do need it at the same time. But it has a cost at government level. It has a fixed cost, but you will have the saving down the line. The problem right now is as well, we do not know how to conserve this energy, this renewable. We don't know how to store it. So we still don't have the technology as well. Malaysia is not really climbing because we have so much fossil fuel in Malaysia and it's so cheap. 
But you have a lot of countries that have no fossil fuel at all, and they import everything, and it's so expensive that it makes, on top of it, financial sense, right? The, the technology is not quite there. Claire, you, you mentioned earlier about the lack of education, or at least it stems from that. Would you say that responsibility lies on perhaps generationally to our families, or maybe the industry, that we should be educating the young or even among ourselves to be very mentally conscious? Education has to come very, very young, mainly now, considering the severity of the problem. And it has to come from family, your community, and obviously the schooling, which is the education, the government, the Ministry of Education. So the government has to be behind. On top of it, the government has to implement fine because pollution of the rivers from the factories, are, it's happening all the time. Deforestation. Right now we have this hill in um, Penang uh, that is supposed to be a UNESCO hill. They're about to sell it to a mining company. This is unacceptable. This is where the government has to say no and enforce the law and making it illegal to do that. So citizens have to be behind, government has to be behind, community has to be, it's, it's a common effort of all of us. It cannot be just one. As a citizen, I, you know, I've been extremely vocal and I can tell you that a citizen actually has a lot of power. Because again, as a, I'm going to cite my example and it's not because I'm egocentric or anything. It's just if listeners are listening to this, I'm just a person who just didn't want to buy my products with so much packaging. So I opened the first zero waste store. To be honest, in Southeast Asia, even Singapore and Bali didn't have one in 2016. I didn't know. I didn't know all of this. I didn't know the complication, but I thought I'm going to try. And I'm going to, if there is only one customer, it will be me and let, let it be me and let's try. But you somewhere. see right away, I mean, it took time, of course, I, then it's a problem of business. It takes time and the effort and passion, blah, blah, blah. But here's not a talk on business. Here's a talk on, you want to change something, you just do it and you will see people will come to you and say, how can I help you? People will come to you. I like what you do. How can we? And I'm like, I don't know how you can help me, but that's what I want to do. How do we do it? I don't know, but let's figure it out as we go along. And then other people will come. And to this day, I had so many angels who came to me. I had people who were like, I'm going to take care of your store. I had students who were playing violins and taking care of the store at the same time for free. Because of course, we didn't make any money at the beginning. So because they believe so much in that. So if you have an idea of creating a composting, do it. People will come and help you to build it. If you have a center, you talk to all your F&B in your neighborhood and say, we don't want any more packaging. Let's have a reusable system, you know, da, da, da. Start implementing it. You might fall once, you might fall twice. Doesn't matter. You meet people along the way, interesting people who think like you, who want to change things, and you will see things i mean you will see the ripple effect you did this so then they will start something else that is as well community eco-friendly based that's a beautiful so, advice because i was going to ask you what are what's your advice or what are the steps that anyone can take right and that sums it up so beautifully yes so i would say to any listeners if you have an idea do it it doesn't matter if it starts with a crappy facebook page who cares People will come to you and say, hey, I like what you're doing. How can I help? You will see. It's in the universe. I'm the pure example in a way. And again, I'm not saying this in an egocentric because I'm so powerful, so good. Not at all. I'm a simple woman who do not know the community, who just came with an idea and people like the idea. And 
we would fall, we will trip, it doesn't matter. It was not very a massive business plan, not at all at the beginning. And it just, people will come and help you if you have an idea. Start with a small Facebook page, start with something small on Instagram, a TikTok video, you will get two or three people will follow and then other, other will follow and say how to help you. So if you love fashion, start with reusing, you know, start with all those things, swapping parties, having all those kind of fun stuff, make it fun. Uh, FNB, you can man, now a lot of plant based. I'm so happy to see so many plant based, all of her KL, Impossible Burger, Beyond Meat, all the plant people. VC are spending so much money right now on all those plant based brands. So that's definitely moving forward. And that's what we can do as citizens, not buying meat anymore, not, not, not much meat. I mean, there's a lot we can do as citizens. We vote again with our dollars and when we go to the booth. Have you heard the story of a starfish? It's after a storm one morning and an old man is walking along the beach and in the distance, he sees a figure moving like a dancer. And as he approaches this, little, this uh -huh. figure, he notices it's a little girl. She's uh, picking up starfish and she's throwing them into the ocean. And he turns to this little girl and says, young lady, what are you doing? And the little girl looks up at him and says, the tide is gone and the sun is out. And if I do not take the starfish and throw them to the ocean, they will surely die. And the old man cynically looks at the little girl and says, young lady, there are miles and miles of beach and thousands of starfish and you're just one person. You cannot possibly make a difference. And the little girl bends over once again, picks up another starfish and she throws it into the sea. And she says, it made a difference to that one. So essentially be like that little oh. girl, make a difference. Even if it's just to yeah. one person or, you know, you want community, start somewhere, right? Start somewhere, you will see the ripple effects. You will see it. You just have to persevere. So the bar you guys are part of the change and people are going to listen to you and they will be like, I can do this. I can do, I can change this. I can change this. And their community and their friends are going to listen to the, the way they behave, the change of behavior and will be inspired by it. So our listeners out um, there, if you want to find out more on The Hive, you can check out thehiveecostore.com for more info and check out how you could be part of that movement and how you can get involved as well. 100%. You can DM us on social media as well. The Hive Bulk Foods, The Hive Eco Store on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest now. <laughs> and LinkedIn. Um, yes. So thank you so much, guys, yeah, for inviting me. Claire, thank, Claire, you. thank you so See much ya. for joining us. It was it was an amazing show and really appreciate your time with us. Thank you. On that note, that's all the time we have for this episode. Until next time, take care. Bye. Bye.